On this week's episode of Legal Marketing Station with Jason, we have a very special guest. He is the owner of Business of Law Strategics and one of the original founders of Law.com in the early 2000s. We are going to dive into his journey and, of course, what is working in the legal marketing industry today. So hold on and we'll be right back here with Paul Ward. Welcome to Legal Marketing Station with Jason, with your host, Jason Craver, co-owner of Telegenic Marketing and co-creator of Local Legal Authorities, the best exclusive legal directory. Each week, we bring you attorney, legal vendor, and legal marketer interviews, along with marketing tips with tutorials you can implement. Pick up the most up-to-date marketing methods and techniques in the legal industry that will get your business results. Now back to this week's show with your host, Jason Craver. We're going to enter Paul here and Paul, kind of just tell the audience really how you got started originally in the legal marketing industry. Sure, Jason. Hey, and first of all, thanks for having me. This is, uh, this is an honor because uh, you're, you're the next generation of legal marketers, so it's, it's, uh, it's good, to, good to be here. I just Thank sort you. of, I stumbled into it. I, um, I was a uh, television broadcaster and um, uh, took a job in PR and the company that I worked for got sued a lot and I got to know the lawyers really well. And one day I was on TV uh, explaining um, about the Aaron Brockovich case and about how my, my employer wasn't really guilty for poisoning all those people in California. And some lawyers saw me on TV and said, hey, I I think I could do marketing for lawyers. And it was really, you know, that simple. It all started from there. The natural intros are the best intros into certain industries. And obviously you've stayed in this industry, so it was a good intro for you. So could you give us a little bit more of what was your first initial steps to actually get foot in the legal marketing industry? Sure. Well, it sort of it sort of migrated because um, initially I was more communications and PR for big law firm. Um, I think the key to any successful marketing is really understanding the business. This particular firm that brought me in, they'd fired all their marketing people in the past. Like nobody lasted more than eighteen months. I didn't know that when I took the job. And they decided that the reason that they fired everybody is because nobody ever took the time to understand the business. And uh, so they educated me about, you know, how law firms work, how billable time works, how they, you know, uh, the stresses that they're under, the way that they count the money, all that stuff, which was just super valuable. And I think that's one of the things that um, I, I kind of bring to the table today is that I was taught by, you know, one of the best the thing that has kept me around it is that law firms touch uh, all areas of commerce. You know, like I, I do a lot of work with Davis Miles, for example, in Tempe, Arizona, and they, you know, they do personal injury, they do accident law, they sell businesses, they do bankruptcy, they do divorce, and marketing to each of those segments is very different. So it kind of feels like you're in an agency every day. You're not doing the same thing. And the people that do it, um, kind of like on a uniform basis, one size fits all, typically don't last or they just suck. So, I agree on that. Those are the people that potentially create the bad impression in the exactly. industry for us. Exactly. 
And that is the hard part there. But that is a very cool natural progression. And yes, like you said, each practice area is heavily different the way you market it. And that is what has been super fun learning in this industry the past five years of how intellectual property is 100% completely different than personal injury. And the minds that you're working with behind those practices too are completely different, which is just very unique how you can have something different, even though you're in legal marketing every single day. For sure. For sure. And, and where you are, and I think where the, the interview is going is, you know, the founding of law.com was just at the, at the, the beginning. I mean, when you started out, it's very hard to measure and prove that the marketing was working. You know, people had good feeling. Like, we, for example, we put an ad on public radio and it would just mention the name of the firm. And, you know, the very sophisticated lawyers in San Francisco would be driving into work over the Golden Gate Bridge and they'd hear that and they'd be like, oh, we are really getting out there. And then the other ones would be, okay, you're spending my money on PBS, but what am I getting? Do I get any clients? I don't know, probably, you know, and so it was, there was none of the measurement that we have now where we get it right down to an exact science of like, how much did it cost per click? How much did right. it cost per phone call? How, and that's what's cool about how the digital component of marketing has evolved. I agree on that 100%. It is not the uh, hope and pray marketing as well. I used <laughs> to pray, I still pray a lot, Jason. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Anything we do behind SEO, we still pray that it produce and work. But right. yes, it's not that typical billboard. We have 100 billboards out there. We don't really know which one produces a result right. for us type of mindset. Right. Well, yes, that is cool in the, the Law.com Foundation. And yeah, we're about to go a little bit more heavier into that on okay. some of these next questions. First, though, I wanted you to just tell the audience what you're currently doing for marketing. So you mentioned Davis Miles, but I know you also have um, your company that's contracted with Davis Miles. So could you give us a little background of what your company does? Sure. Yeah. So um, over the years, I've kind of developed a mix of like three or four things, you know, and I always tell attorneys to do this, you know, to, to try to have a mix uh, of three or four practice areas within your practice focus, because that way you've got a balanced portfolio. If one goes down, the other one maybe is firing, et cetera. And so, you know, I've kind of focused on, uh, you know, marketing everything from, you know, the websites to the sponsorships, to the SEO, to the, to the pay-per-click. Not that I do all those myself, but hire, you know, I've hired you before, you know, hiring people to help me get those things done. So that the marketing and then an individual coaching with the lawyers on their own business plans, coaching at an executive level, you know, what, what's the firm's business plan. Um, and then I've also done a fair amount of recruiting, especially in the Phoenix market, because, you know, uh, you know, we started that company 20 years ago in Phoenix. So I have a lot of contacts over the years here. So um, I, a lot of times lawyers will let me know if they're going to make a move and uh, I can try to help place them. And then there's this uh, sort of whole innovation, digital transformation. You know, a lot of law firms are still trying to figure out how to be more efficient. It's one thing to get them a bunch more work. It's another thing, like, can they do the work? Can they do it profitably, uh, et cetera? And uh, spent a lot of time uh, in Colorado, my last firm, looking at that and increasing profitability and not just top line revenue. So, so those are sort of the things 
that I focus on. That's awesome. Yeah, top line revenue and increasing that is key. And that's why I feel like a lot of this software is coming into play for these attorneys, really speed running this process for them and telling them they don't have to look up in books for every single thing that they're looking for. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> but it is the hardest market to uh, transition from paper to digital in my eyes. And it's obviously been going faster, but I think the legal industry needs to speed up even more in the next few years and everybody needs to adapt digital. Yeah, it's been very, very resilient and resistant to change. And I think it's just because of the revenue models. You know, I mean, I think uh, in places where lawyers and law firms have figured out how to make money on volume and how to make money on efficiency and, you know, when they're, when they're charging flat fees or what have you, I think you see some real innovation happening. I think where there's a disincentive to do it, you know, sometimes the deals are so big that people on each side don't care. And there's not, you know, there's not really a compelling reason to, to make the change. And so it's all economic driven, but, but the people I know who've done it, um, you know, I work with, I work with a divorce lawyer who has modernized his whole document process and he's one of the most successful uh, divorce lawyers I've ever met because he can, he can operate at a very efficient level. So his focus is on his clients and not, oh, where was that document? Where was that clause? Where was that? He's got all that down. So his, he's got laser focus. Subsequently, he can do more work. He can make more money and et cetera. So people that I know who have done it have ended up being very, very successful. But you're right. It's, it's a slow process. And there are billions of dollars now being invested in software. I mean, I, there are legal tech funds that only invest in legal technology. There's, there are alternative service providers who are challenging, you know, at the fringes, but there's still a long way to go. I agree. Yeah, I was just checking out a lot of the, the 2021 Legal Technology Awards happened like a month ago. The amount of softwares that were part of the selection process for that was mind-blowing. Isn't that incredible? Uh, a, lot of them, a lot of them do the same thing. I know. And that was the craziest part of it. It was like every single person is like, we specialize in bringing this data. But it's like, if all of you do it, where's the, I, you all can't obviously have success in this industry. Yeah. Um, and that's one is, of the biggest problems at big firms is that they have a lot of siloed softwares that, that don't talk to each other. Right. I, I broke my I broke my brain, uh, my Colorado firm trying to get, you know, accounting to talk to IT to talk to it was, it was a, you know, it was a great title. I was chief innovation officer, but it was also a lot of headache, you know, trying to get those changes implemented. And the cool part was the software. The hard part was actually implementing it and integrating it. Right. That is the crazy part. And that's Really what it's come down to in the software side, from my understanding, is the integration side, the APIs that are available so you can integrate it into every kind of other piece of software that you have. Right. And that's what is going to make these softwares successful if they can adapt as many of those as possible so they right. can kind of create that alliance with everybody else. 
And I, I do do a little bit of investing. Um, if you don't mind me giving a plug for one of the companies I've invested in, it's called DocuPlayer. And what I love about it, it's very simple software and it, you don't really need an API, although it does plug into systems like Clio. And basically what it does is helps. And, and this gets to why I thought law.com was such a cool thing. Um, but it, it, it basically lets the lawyer sort of do a little video on top of the document sort of. So if I'm doing a contract for you and I say, hey, Jason, um, this paragraph C-14, it's, it's kind of a lot of legal mumbo jumbo. But basically what it's saying is what you told me to put, that you want this guy to pay this and then you're going to do that. And that's what that says. And that's tremendously valuable. We're, we're excited to see, you know, both, if both, you know, consumers of legal and um, contract creators will kind of embrace it. Yeah, I bet that helps the consumer side understand what they're obviously paying that lawyer for way easier. And I've gotten so many contracts back where I look at it and I'm just like, I don't even know where to start. And you really do <laughs> just send it to the attorney. You're like, I don't want to read this. I'm sending it to my attorney. This is not what my head is set for. Yeah, we did a podcast with, uh, the Is That Even Legal podcast with Bob Sewell. We did a podcast on, you know, you just signed that contract. Did you know what it said? And, and, and there's some survey in that, in that podcast that, that Bob, the, the host, pulled out like 94% of people admit that they've signed contracts and they had no idea what they said. <laughs> That's so, well, that's where I feel like the DocuSign process and those other softwares like that, they almost help and speed line the process of the end user not reading the full document. That's a very good point. When they click the next, it's like they hover across all the mark jargon and sign. And that's yeah. really it. I've sent so many contracts that I get back within a minute and I'm like, they literally had no potential to be able to read the entire contract in this yeah. minute. <laughs> yeah. And, and, they they, sign. Um, and they sign it. And, and if you don't sign, you know, I, I just had um, a legal software that we're signing up on behalf of Davis Miles and, um, and I, uh, you know, loved the demo, wanted to see the contract, got it in a DocuSign format, and then they're just bugging the snot out of me for weeks. You know, sign the contract, sign the time contract. <laughs> like, I haven't had time to read the contract yet. Right. But, yeah. That's the funny part about the reminders. I always right. try to not set the reminders just for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I should, uh, yeah. Well, good for you. Well, cool. Let's hop into the, the nitty-gritty and what we came here for is really to learn more about Law.com and the origination and how you guys got started. So for everybody listening, Paul was one of the original founders of Law.com. So he's really going to give us those insights here on how they got started. So the first question I really have for you is, how did the idea of Law.com come together? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, and, uh, and, and the idea of Law.com probably depends on which founder you talk to. Um, uh, but, you know, I was in San Francisco, I was working with a big law firm, and I had built their first website or had their first website built. It was uglier than sin. And, um, but I was starting to get uh, web companies coming to me as a marketing person for a law firm, trying to sell me um, advertising models or whatever. So I had an idea of what the models were. And then I had a friend that lived here uh, who knew that I was doing that. And he had a 
law partner who was buying a bunch of internet domains and he had bought some really great, you know, top, what we call now, you know, top level domains at, at bargain basement prices. And one of them was law.com. And so my buddy said, Hey, um, you want to get in on this? And I've got, I got a potential investor and then, you know, the guy's selling us the name um, and can we figure out what we would do with it? So that, that's how it started. And so I said, sure. And I, you know, named my percentage. And, and what was great about the way we set it up was that our investor um, had a company that he had just sold and he had a bunch of money, but he also still had a building. He still had IT. So it wasn't the typical, we had to bootstrap everything. And so I was able to tell my wife, hey, I have a job, right? I'm a W-2 employee, right? I'm not doing a big risk here, you know. We, um, so that was that was kind of critical for me to be able to bite the bullet. I'm not like you where, you know, just start out and build it. And, you know, I, um, I had kids. I had, you know, I had a pretty good job that I had to leave. Um, but that, you know, so that made it good. It wasn't, you know, the same salary I was making in San Francisco, but it was a living wage and it, it gave us some comfort. As to what the thing was going to do, you know, I had these advertising models in my head because that's what I'd been sold and I had some other ideas. Um, but what I loved about uh, one of the founders was this guy named Charlie Davis. And, and Charlie is one of the reasons why I met Davis Miles um, because he, you know, he and I made some money together. He knew what I could do on a marketing front. But Charlie had this really cool concept uh, that really spoke to me, which was basically just access to justice, basically, which is very common and very prevalent now. But the idea that the internet would sort of democratize the law because it would give people access to the content. Now, you got to go way back. This was before LegalZoom. This was before online CLE. This is before you could you know, do legal research over the web. There were legal research companies, but they were basically charging their users by the minute, right? Yeah. So we set out to do, uh, and, and my biggest role was to, you know, create the, the, the business engine to start making us money. So I, I knew a lot of lawyers uh, throughout the Bay Area, throughout, you know, all the offices where my law firm was, which was an international firm. So I built a pretty good network of advertisers. And then we, um, we started to partner with sort of some of the rebel companies like there was a company out there that was doing legal research over the web and um, they were challenging at the time Thomson Reuters which was um, just then Westlaw Thomson didn't own it yet and Lexus and uh, instead of having this proprietary model we wanted to democratize it where you just you know do one subscription and all the research you wanted so we we partnered with them and that that partnership was important because I'll tell you that in a, in, a, in a bit, but so we kind of, um, we kind of, uh, we developed a beautiful page and that, that's one of the things that's really important is presentation and how you look to the market. And then we pitched some very big corporations who were trying to, you know, cause everybody was, it was the internet boom. Everybody was excited. Nobody knew exactly where it was going to go, but everybody wanted to get involved. It's kind of funny to have started a company about the same time that Yahoo started, about the same time that Amazon started. You know, now you look at Jeff Bezos and you say, well, 
you know, what am I doing? I'm advising law firms in Phoenix and he's flying to the moon. No, that's what <laughs> <you're> right. <laughs> but, uh, um, but we, uh, we, we made some pretty good headway and because we, it was well laid out, had, had good stuff. We, um, we landed some big advertising contracts. Um, and then the, the company that we partnered with to do the legal research, um, was decided that they were going to go public. And so we were trying to figure out whether we would go public. And there were, there were four of us and three lawyers and me. And under the going public scenario, two of those guys would just fall off. They didn't, the new company didn't need them. They wanted me and they wanted Charlie. So that caused some friction among us because, you know, we, uh, on the one hand, we wanted the most money we could get. And on the other hand, we sort of wanted to go as a team. Right. The, then another kind of side offer we were starting to entertain. And, you know, I basically told them, well, we're entertaining going public with another entity. And um, people that bought us got on a plane, flew here, and, and made us a cash offer, which made everybody happy. And, you know, in retrospect, it was probably a double when it could have been a home run. But um, the company that went public, you know, went up like this. And then, then the dot-com crash came. And so right. we don't know where we would have ended up in that cycle. So to have the cash was, you know, it was a good outcome for everybody. And, but what a wild ride, you know, pitching to investors, getting turned down. Uh, and then later, my partner and I created a, an incubator here in town, and we invested in some other companies and tried to pitch those to investors, some of which turned out okay and some of them didn't. But it was a... It was an incredible experience. I mean, that was the time when, you know, I mean, Google hadn't even been born yet, right? right. Yahoo was the big, so it was, it was the wild west. And, you know, now, you know, you think about how, how much influence Facebook and Google and Twitter have on the world, TikTok, Instagram, you know, it, it, it's amazing. The, 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 one that, the one that's amazing to me is LegalZoom because we literally, we had some documents that we were, putting out there for free. And we literally conceptualized legal zoom in a conference room. We, we just didn't have all the resources, you know, to implement a bit, but you could see it coming, you know? And the one thing that's interesting is when we sold, we sold to a content company and we really thought software was probably bigger or, or, or integrating a bunch of softwares that you could get off of law.com. They never embraced that model. And, you know, their prerogative to this day, I think their valuation would probably be double if they would have embraced our model, but you know, I'm not there anymore. So I can, <laughs> I can, you know, speak from the sidelines without any. Right. Controversy. Uh, well, that's but they also cover law firms. So I have to say, you know, a lot of comes fantastic, but. Right. But I, I did think that we could have sold some software off of that, off that site. That's super interesting. And that's an amazing, just foundational understanding of law.com. And you said it yourself when <laughs> the law.com in general to get that domain, oh, wow. it was like a gold mine in itself. Because yeah, we look at three letter domains in this day and age right now. And it's like, good luck trying to find one that's for sale. Yeah, and, and, and I was lucky because the other three founders were here and I was in the Bay Area. So, you know, 
as soon as I knew we had, and you know, and I don't want to tell you what we paid for it, but it was like embarrassingly nothing. And um, <laughs> what's funny is uh, like, I, I'm not saying I'm smarter than them. I was just in a different context, right? So I instantly knew that we already had a great valuation, right? Even if we, as long as we didn't screw it up, we were going to be fine, right? We didn't have to be geniuses, but I think it was important to, to get the, the contracts in and the content up and, the, and the, you know, the way it looked and to get an investor and get rolling because that, that, pro- that, you know, that amplified our valuation quite a bit um, that rather than just a domain. But you're right. I mean, as soon as I heard what, you have what? You have law.com. And uh, yeah, and, and, you know, and I still don't know that they've completely uh, monetized what, what it's worth. But, you know. Well, yeah, I, I know personally that they actually just recently came out with a completely new strategy within the last like six months that is pretty similar to locally authorities, but it's not very similar at all at the same um, instance. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, I have to tell you that your model is very similar to what I thought of, which was, you know, sell these, you know, only it was, you know, just to be on that property. So it was a lot less sophisticated, um, but it, but with the same concept of, you know, practice area, geographic area, et cetera, you know, they've gone through that and they've gone away from that. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to, you know, try to do what you do. They're definitely hopping into, uh, I would say, an industry that they haven't been super big in. And they're not marketing themselves correctly right now, too. So I'm super, <laughs> super interested to see if they have a falling out because... Yeah, it's it's very interesting what they've created and how they're marketing it to the Well, public. I think I think the interesting thing, and you know more about this than I do, but I, I would love your thoughts on this sometime. But I, you know, whenever now that I'm asked, you know, to invest law firm dollars in a website or in a place where my lawyers can be found, um, I'm pretty skeptical if the traffic doesn't just turn it right back to my lawyer. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's one thing to build a landing page and that kind of stuff, but it's another thing to say, you know, you know, here's a, here's a piece of land and I'm going to advertise this piece of land so much that everybody's going to come to that piece of land. And then, then, then I'm going to have them go to your little parcel. You know, it's like, does that work? I mean, when I look at the back end of websites and Google analytics, I don't, you know, those referring sites are never a huge component of uh, the traffic. So, you know, I, I wonder how that works. You know, I'm, I'm always, you know, I always think through, you know, whether I should spend money on directories or, you know, put a bio here, put a bio there. When I'm like, wouldn't my money be better spent just driving people to my own site or driving people right to my telephone? Right. Um, how do you feel about that? So I have heard it from hundreds of attorneys and I would say my feeling is pretty similar. And what the industry I think has been of now is it is this directory industry, but it's a directory industry that's never honed in on how to get one attorney a lead. So they've all created these 
awesome directories, but at the end of the day, it's a directory that you go to as a consumer and you are put in front of 40 to 200 attorneys of the same practice of the same geographic. So it, it goes down to if everybody's using a methodology of utilizing the search engines to get consumers to those attorneys, if you have an, a page that has 20 attorneys on it, half of those attorneys, if not 19 out of 20 of those attorneys, are never going to see a lead from the program. So it's, it's the harder concept of convincing the attorney that they're not, so like our program, essentially, you're convincing the attorney that they're not part of a group, they're the single attorney for that exact practicer in that demographic. And then when we create that capability of search engines to grab consumers to get them to that attorney, we have one attorney that we're bringing in it to, to where I've seen a better rate at leads driven to our attorneys from our directory than I've heard feedback from hundreds of attorneys of other directories slash personally, you can go research reviews about a lot of the directories out there. And some of them, you can find 10,000 bad reviews about how they literally have never drove a lead to an attorney ever. Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, you know, I mean, the directory model is based on volume, right? You, you, you fund it by getting a bunch of lawyers on the directory, which then makes it a lot less valuable for the consumer because like you just said, the consumer comes in and there's, I'm not going to name a directory, but um, if everybody's awesome, who's really awesome? Right. And, and, and then you're like, okay, I guess all these people are awesome. So I'm going to pick one out of 20, like you said, and then the other 19 who paid you know, $5,000 to be on the awesome site, you never got a call, you know, and, and, and it's, it's a really genius thing because lawyers are very competitive. Right. And they, if you're going to give out an awesome award, then they want to be the awesome one too. And then if you tell them that they won the awesome award, they'll open their wallet. You know, I, I sometimes think that, you know, if you're pitching your business or I'm pitching my business, I, I think you start with an award, right? I'm, I'm attorney at law, uh, whatever, you, you know, whatever your brand is. <laughs> it's like, you've won. Now give right. me money. You know, I, that's not a bad idea. But um, yeah, so, I, you know, so I think that that, uh, you know, what we struggled with for a revenue model, and that's why, you know, I think sometimes software is probably the better answer is, you know, we struggled at Lot.com to figure out, okay, you know, how do we, how do we make it? Um, and, and kind of landed on a, a very primitive version of what you did, which is, you know, one practice area per geographic area. And, you know, what does that mean? What do they get for that, et cetera? And then, uh, you know, build on from there. Um, right. But it's been really cool to see how it's evolved. Right. Well, definitely on that side. And the directory industry, I think, has evolved an insane amount the past 10 years because <laughs> there's like, I think there's like 180 some legal directories out there. Yeah. yeah. And really, if you ask a lawyer how many directories there are out there, they'd probably say less than 10 from yeah. the average attorney's knowledge. So it is kind of an industry that 
is a lot of people competing, but nobody has figured out, I think, the thing to stay. Because the people that have stayed have not changed their system in 10 years, so eventually their system will get depleted out, I think. Yeah, there, there are a couple that I think have found a, a, a really interesting niche, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if people, you know, years and years and years ago, just when American firms were starting to go to Europe, there was a rating service over there that was similar to, at least in my recollection, I could be wrong, but my recollection is it's similar to Martindale and it's called Chambers and Partners. And so you've got the best law firms in the world who are based in New York City or San Francisco or Los Angeles or Chicago who are going into London, et cetera, and say uh, Tokyo or what have you. And, and, and to get credibility, you wanted to get ranked in chambers because it meant you were a great international firm. And, uh, and they've set up a system where they really do interview your people. They really do do research. Um, so it, it means something, you know, and, and there are firms in, in the country that hire, you know, a $75,000 a year person just to submit to directors. And a major part of that is chambers because you have to, you know, you have to compile all the work that you did that year. You have to uh, arrange all these people to talk to them and talk to the researchers. Then you have to talk to them and tell them your, your perspective on other firms. It's, it, you know, it's a full-time job to have it happen. And if it didn't matter to those big global firms, you know, they wouldn't invest in it. So I do think that there are some that, not kind of the firms that we're necessarily talking about here, but there are some big global firms where that matters. And I've talked to candidates who um, thinking about making a move and they won't make a move because that particular firm isn't ranked in chambers, you know? So there are some of those that are research based. Right. And now how much they get searched, you know, the, the other thing about that is a sophisticated buyer, do they really go on a chamber site to search? You know, I know recruiters go on chamber site to search because they want to see who's chambers rated, but, but no, your points, your points well taken. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the bigger concept of if you have the database in your website already, or if you're utilizing search engines to get the data or get the consumers, the leads, or get right. the attorneys, the leads, it's completely different. And right. I would say that a few have that brand. But that is what I always say is if you're really researching for an attorney of a specific practice, maybe not personal injury is a good example, but like business litigation, you're going to research that attorney heavy. You're going to double check multiple sources online for that attorney. And that's like very vetable to the end consumer when you can find that attorney on multiple sources. So I, yeah, I do agree with you there. And um, so to hone it back into Law.com a little bit here, I had a question that was how you guys really approach the legal marketing industry from the attorney side and the vendor side. The software is kind of approaching it from the vendor side. And then for attorneys, you kind of honed in on the advertising slots for specific law firms. Is that the major way 
that you guys profited in the beginning off of Law.com? Yeah, yeah. It was um, that was a that was a key component of it. So if you just breaking those down, like so, if you take a look at the the lawyer side, you know, lawyers like to generate content generally, and so we would have them write and you know pay us to put their content up, and it was kind of like uh, you know the paywall sites of today, where you know they they induce you for free, and then after you do it for a while, you kind of dig it. Um, the challenge that we faced because the internet was so new is that, you know, we, we did get takers who wanted to own, uh, and they didn't know what it meant, et cetera. And then, you know, and if you send a link to somebody, you didn't even know if they use the internet yet. So they made any, you know what I mean? If you can even imagine that, right. You can't even imagine it now, but it's like, okay, Hey, I posted this on lot.com, you know, I'm going to send it to 12 of my contacts and look like I really know what I'm talking about, but six of them may not even have the internet yet. Right. Or they're, <laughs> You know, that, that sound of dial-up, that, you know, you hear that going on, you know, the background Why somebody's trying to look at your article and then they give up because it doesn't load. Doesn't fast enough. <laughs> yeah. so, so the concepts were all there, you know, but the execution was challenging because the internet wasn't, you know, um, Al Gore ready yet. You know, it was getting there, but it wasn't, even if the content wasn't that accessible. I mean, that wasn't a major problem, but it was, it was part of, you know, one of the hurdles we had to go over, but but people were people were interested in that. So so what we tried to do was we tried to do four channels, right? We did a channel that was B to B, so it would be lawyer content to business, lawyer content to consumer. Then we had a a law school channel because we we you know we saw Amazon starting to come around, and we thought that you know we we thought we could have all elements of a very successful website. We thought we could have content and sponsored content. We thought we could have softwares, at least partnerships with softwares. And then we thought we could have e-commerce. So the, the idea with law schools was um, like, we, we started to make relationships with used booksellers, for example. So you could get your law school books for half price or a third off or what have you. And then we would take cuts of, of the deals uh, that were available on the site. And then the, um, the final, so we had a B2B, B2C, and then we had uh, law schools, and then we had just uh, content for lawyers, about lawyers, and about the other law firms, et cetera, which is kind of where uh, a lot of com ended up. Like, if you go on there now, it's mostly talking about court decisions and this lawyer and that lawyer, and, and it covers all over the country. They had about more than 30 uh, properties. M many of them were just... Uh, print properties, but some of them were already online. And so they, when they bought us, they started to do a roll-up and their digital strategy was, you know, that all that content would come online, sit behind a paywall, which I think it still does. And, uh, but yeah, that was, that was how we went to the lawyers as we, uh, and we, you know, we got some accolades. USA Today called this one of the hottest sites at the time. So we used that accolade a lot to tell lawyers, hey, People are going to look at this, you know, and then on the vendor side, you know, hey, lawyers are going to look at this. And, you know, we, if we can take, you know, that um, that research product that's going to, you know, be half the price of Lexus or a third of the price of Lexus. And uh, you have to tell a funny story that is, wasn't funny at the time, but 
But nowadays we have email marketing and it's pretty sophisticated. We have all these privacy laws and we have all these, you know, unsubscribe and, and rightfully so. But back in the day, it was kind of the wild west. So I paid a programmer to write me uh, and I basically gave him, and I don't know where I got it, but, you know, a list of like all the lawyers of the country, right? And he was writing me spam code to like tell, you know, hey, I'm Paul Ward and I'm the vice president of marketing Bot.com, and I'd like you to subscribe because of blah, blah, blah. I thought it'd be really cool if I put my name on it and put my own, my own email address. And, and uh, well, he screwed up the programming and it sent like 10 messages to each person. And I spent like two weeks apologizing to all these people who we had spammed. I mean, figured it out about 70,000 emails later, you know, we, we hadn't gotten to the whole million of the lawyer population, but we got 70,000 or something into it. And I spent weeks, you know, sorry, 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 you know, luckily a lot of people didn't open those emails, but, uh, lesson learned, you know, and I, and I, it cured me of ever being a spammer again, right? I didn't ever want to do that again. So that is funny. Yeah. In this day and age, if you, somebody gets into your email and starts spamming yeah. out, I feel like every single person reaches out to you instantly. Hey, I think somebody hacked into your account. You know? Exactly. Thank you. I probably have been let off in handcuffs, you know, by today's standards and right, and rightfully so. Right. But I was just trying to get the word out, you know, but that's awesome though. Well, I'm sure there's still a crazy amount of cold uh, email outreach going out there that's a little bit illegal behind the scenes. Yeah, probably. Well, cool. Um, got a couple more questions before we end up, but I don't want to sure. take too much time here today. But So we, we heard the foundation of it, and we heard that you sold it. When did you guys actually sell Law.com? Uh, it was in 2000, like I think mid-year of 2000. So right before the bubble started to burst, actually, we our timing was perfect. Like I said, we sold, we went on vacation, we, and then, you know, about two or three, four months later, I was, you know, I was lamenting because I was watching the stock of that IPO go up. And I was thinking, and, you know, and they wanted me right there. So I, you know, and, and, and so I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. We hadn't, we hadn't formed incubate yet. So I'm like, man, if I would have just stayed at first, I still have a job. <laughs> and number two, you know, I'd be worth, you know, three times what I am right now, you know? And then as the next six months played out, it's like, I think I'm okay. I think, I think this, is, this is all right, you know? But yeah, so it was about mid 2000. That is insane to hear just that a tech company or an online company was sold in 2000. Yeah, it because was. we know that the, obviously the boom didn't really happen until kind of that 2005 era. But that is just awesome to hear. Yeah, it was, it was a fun experience. And, um, you know, one of the things I would say as an entrepreneur is, you know, we, we got a great domain name. I think we did a pretty good job with it. We didn't screw it up. We, we had a pretty good exit. But when we went into Incubate, we thought we knew a lot more than we really knew because we'd gotten lucky and we'd, you know, it was a space that I really knew, you know, law firms and lawyers. Um, Incubate, we kind of expanded into things we didn't know and we screwed up few 
learned the hard way that, you know, you're going to fail. If you're an entrepreneur, you're going to fail. And, you know, sometimes it's better to fail on the first one. So you don't think you know a lot, but after, you know, I, you know, I think we started seven companies and, uh, one of them, you know, barely survived and one of them did really, really well. And the rest sort of, you know, various stages of failure or they just petered out, you know, but that was really good to learn um, because, you know, you're going to fail. And um, if you get lucky, uh, the most important thing is to stay humble and, and, and not think, you know, uh, everything and, and, and then turn around and, and incubate as an investor you know, we learned that too, that if just because somebody did great first time doesn't necessarily mean they will. You have to look at why they did great. And there are certain characteristics and traits that people carry through. And, you, you know, they're serial entrepreneurs that you, you know they're going to be successful. And you want to, you just like, yeah, I'm going to put my money on it. And, but there's other that are sort of more one-hit wonders and you sort of have to say, okay, wasn't that just a great domain name? You know? You're right. <laughs> what did you really bring to that you know that's uh, the seo industry at its finest is yeah. you have so many people out there putting out these case studies of the top attorney that everybody knows in the entire <laughs> states and you're like well the attorney's already well known in the entire state how much did you actually have an impact to that right right and yeah, yeah. I, bet you, I bet you battle that all the time you know oh, exactly and but there's also an there's also an axiom in marketing with lawyers that's really interesting too, is that, and I wrote about this in um, the um, Bar Magazine, Arizona Attorney, this most recent issue about, you know, working with a lawyer who's already super good because sometimes, you know, you, and you know this from marketing, if you, if, you, if you team up with a savvy company or a savvy lawyer, sometimes two plus two can equal 12 because, you know, they'll do what you suggest They'll have their own suggestions and, and then there's sort of like alchemy that happens. Like they're already a good marketer and then, and then you get them together with your brain and you come up with stuff that, that really blows it out of the water. Whereas you come out with, if you hook up with somebody who wants to argue with you and wants to fight you and you know, you're like, okay, so your marketing sucked and you hired me and now you want to argue with me, you know, then two plus two is not, you know, it, may barely equal four right and and um and so you know so you know you're right i mean sometimes you say wow look at that guy got him into the uh top of the search engine you say well so what he was already at the top of the search engine but <laughs> but there are also cases where you say that person already had a million dollars in revenue and now they have 1.7 million dollars revenue and you know um 1.1 1. 1 million is a good revenue 1.7 is even better and that was Two plus two equals twelve. You know? Right. That's uh if I if I can ever find anybody who's in my footsteps, but they've already successfully done the thing that I'm trying to do, you best believe I'm gonna learn everything that I can. Sure, yeah, sure. And if you get a, a customer that thinks like that, you know, it's a and, and I have I have lots of I have lots of uh, people that I work with that think like that. They're already super good at what they do. Um, right. but they know they can be better and they want a different perspective. And you know. And I've learned a lot. I mean, you know, I learned my whole LinkedIn game from a lawyer in town. In 2009, he convinced me to get on it. He was getting clients off of it. And, and I laugh, you know, it's like I, I've given a lot of lawyers LinkedIn advice, but I learned it from a lawyer. 
But yeah, that's that's super funny. <laughs> yeah, learn it and uh, pitch it back to the people that you learned it from. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna try to get him to hire me. Give him some tips. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, very cool. Thank you for uh, that full story of Law.com and yeah, just yeah. giving us that full understanding. Um, I have one last bonus question, and it's for all of our listeners here. Every single episode, our goal is to really help the listeners hear what is working here and now in the legal marketing industry. My question to you is, what do you feel is the best form of marketing that attorneys can do today? That's a, that's a great question. And I think um, I'm going to answer it. Uh, maybe not in the most direct way that you'd like, but I think the most important thing is to have some kind of a business plan that the marketing underpins. Like you have these goals and because if you have these business goals and business objectives, then the marketing can get underneath that and then you can prove that we did this goal for this reason and it, and it validates a lot of stuff. And I think that omni-channel is really important. Like I, uh, I cannot underestimate the value of social media. I think a lot of law firms, a lot of lawyers don't understand the value of Instagram and Facebook and, um, and underutilize it. Um, even TikTok is, you know, um, there's, a, there's a law technology company that has a community relations guy and he, he does the best TikToks and he has millions of followers. And, uh, and he thought it was just a hobby, a stupid hobby, but he realized it's really helped that software company grow their community. So social media is really important. It can't be a standalone, but it, it also can't be neglected, shouldn't be neglected. I think, you know, PPC and SEO and LSAs, we've, we've had, um, Davis Miles, we have, a lot of ex- have had a lot of success with LSAs. That's um, we, we started doing them in a couple of practice areas and have seen um, really good hits on those and, and quality leads. So I think those are really important. And then and, and back to, to social and LinkedIn uh, and content and video is huge. And, and creative video, not just uh, a talking head lawyer. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that firms struggle with is you know, what to put in the video, how to edit a video. But I've seen some amazing lawyers, especially on Instagram, and especially solos who do, you know, really good videos and um, put, you know, chunks of really important data. They, 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 they boil it down to a meme or they boil it down to four points and then it comes out with some music and it's just super memorable. And, you know, when, when I started this business and, you know, when I was selling that advertising a lot at Com- these lawyers would write you, you know, 12 pages of stuff about some legal decision or, or you know, what the Biden administration did. It wasn't the Biden administration um, at the time, although I'm sure he was a senator at the time. But there was all this content. And, you know, you read to the bottom, sometimes you wouldn't even know, like, so what? You know, all they did was analyze it. They didn't actually give the person a recommendation. What I've seen that works and that a lot of people are doing is like, you know, Biden comes out with something or the, you know, some law gets passed or some governor decides something. It's just a quick meme. Like, this is what it means. Boom, boom, boom. Call me. And they do it fun and they put their personality into it. The other thing that I think works a lot 
and lawyers are hesitant to do this, but I've seen it working more, is some of your own personality, you know? Um, I've got, you know, at Davis Miles, we have a marathoner who's also a PI lawyer, and he writes about his runs. And the idea is like, look, if this guy can last through, you know, 50 marathons, he's going to he's going to stick it through your case. You know, he's going to, he's going to be an endurance. He's not going to quit on you. And he's, you know, um, I have a, a friend who does recipes and puts those out, you know, so, so that sort of, I think that the, the world is kind of morphing to, you know, they want to know a little bit about you as a person and not just your professional credentials. Um, and the judgment, which you and I, supply is like what's that line you know what what gets too um you know trivial it doesn't sound like a sophisticated lawyer right and what's too stuffy that people don't even understand it and they just turn it out you know that that's the balance that i think we marketers help the lawyers get to but um but i think we're going to see video going more you know, I don't think internet, I mean, I don't think email marketing is dead. I think, we, you know, that's still, I find that very effective, like with our podcast, a lot of the things that we do with our podcast, oh, and podcasting is another huge thing, what we're doing right now. People love it. People love to be in on the conversation. They love to listen to it. And, you know, we have 20,000 downloads on the Is That Even Legal podcast. And um, awesome. now the secret to, secret to great pay-per-click, the secret to a great podcast is Great pay-per-click. You have to have lawyers who are willing to be part of the intake process. In my in my um, estimation, and the successful ones I've had had great lawyers who roll with the punches, keep their schedules open, make time to to do those free consults, and find a way to make money off of it. And with a podcast, you know, you have to have a great host. And I've been blessed with, you know, Bob Sewell is the host of uh, Is That Even Legal? He's fantastic. He's a J he's a um, journalism undergrad. So he's natural at this. So you, you can't just, it's just, it's like all marketing, right? It's not the tools, it's how you use them. Agreed. I agree. He is an amazing podcast host. I love the podcast that he puts out and you guys put out for sure. He's hilarious. He's, and what's funny about him is he's as hilarious in person as he is on that show. And it's just like, you know, you never know where it's going to go. And it's, it's fun. He is super funny. And I think you answered that question the best that you possibly could because you really started that out with the business plan being the number one thing and having marketing express and um, emphasize that business plan. And that is what I think not a lot of attorneys know. And a lot of attorneys are like, I can start a practice and I can go find a marketer and they can grow this entire business for me. But yeah, if you can have the business plan started, marketing should be that 15% piece is what we always say to take it to that finish line of what that business plan is. I mean, even on the soft stuff, like there are still like, depending on the size of the firm, there are still some things that you do that you can't necessarily measure the exact ROI on. Right. Right. But if they are underpinned by a business plan, Right. For example, you know, Davis Miles is the largest law firm in the Phoenix East Valley. And some people know that, some people don't. We want to make sure that as many people know that as possible. We also have this law firm that um, is a big fitness and wellness 
law firm, right? So when the opportunity came to become, you know, the premier sponsor of the Mesa Turkey Trot, which is a big event in Mesa, you know, it wasn't one of those things where like, well, we're going to clients out of it. You know, it was more like, this is exactly who we are. We are right. the biggest firm. We are wellness fanatics. We'll be able to turn out 15 to 20 people at this event to run and, and five or 10 more to, to help. And uh, this is who we are. And, you know, whether it will actually turn into clients, you know, I don't know, but it was, it was very easy to, to put that in a budget when you're like, this is part of our business plan. Right. And that's where, yeah, all brand awareness won't have the ROI, but right. brand awareness is still very key in every marketing plan because that is kind of the one marketing thing that you can do that you don't fully know how it ends that result for you. But you could reach out to somebody today and two years in the future, they could reach back out to you because you reached out to them. And sure, it's just sure. a completely different way to think about it. But personality is key too, and you honed in on that and that that answer too. And I listen to all these calls that we have for our local legal authorities, the the attorneys that approve that we can listen to their calls. And the amount of personality of why the consumer is choosing the attorney that's involved in our calls, let alone, is jaw dropping to me. So the amount of people that really say, like, I just read this entire bio, this person loves dachshunds i love dachshunds i'm going to use them as my attorney like that correlation is like the craziest correlation but it works and i hear it all the time and it really is just like if you can bring the right personality into your brand it is game changing for it you know that i'm glad that you said that i'm i'm you know i you know and i gotta be honest with you i am an old stodgy old dude when it comes to that you know so it used to be when i read a bio and it'd be like, and I like long walks on the beach and warm, fuzzy puppies. And I'm like, get that stuff out of there, man. That's not professional. But, but now, like you said, it's like, you know, um, you know, Jason likes to breed golden doodles and likes to travel when he can to the Oregon coast and, and preserve, you know, whatever, you know, shellfish or whatever. People, people dig that. As long as it's authentic and it's real. And it's who you are. It's really powerful. It is. It is. And it is. I, I think it's only going to get more powerful as we proceed. Yeah, because it's, it's the differentiator. I mean, you know, and I, I told my friend um, that does the cookie recipes, you know, and, and, I, and I went through this cycle with him. Uh, you know, he doesn't work at Davis Miles anymore. But he used to, right? So we went back to this event and he was meeting all these general counsel. And um we paid a lot of money to be in front of these lawyers and he's like talking about cookies. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, Hey, um, what are we doing? You know, why are we talking about cookies here? But I didn't say anything to him. I just let it play out. But lo and behold, people contacted him over the year to ask him about recipes or what was that thing. And, and he had this niche, you know, and then now I, you know, when I talked to him, I go, Hey, you, you should, you should post something on LinkedIn about, you know, what you're cooking for the holidays because people care about that, you know? Right. So I think it is, a, you know, and I look at my own LinkedIn algorithm, you know, um, the biggest post in 2021 for me was I posted about my motorcycle, my Ducati and, you know, taking it out in the desert and what I learned from, you know, 
buying a Ducati after 20 years of not having a Ducati. And people went crazy. And I was like, I didn't even know. I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't post this. This is just kind of stupid. But it's how I spent the weekend. And I did have these insights based on what I learned from writing it. You know, right. and then, you know one of the main concepts was, you know, when you first get a bike that can go off-road and on-road, and you haven't ridden for a while, you tend to go really slow through the rocks and the bumps, which makes the ride a lot more treacherous and dangerous than if you go at regular speed. You have to be aggressive when it's rough. You can't be a wuss and try to avoid every rock or you're going to go down. And I, I kind of liken that to the innovator's journey, right? That if, if, you, if you concentrate on every rock in the road, you're never going to get to the destination. You got you to power through the bumps. Now, you're not recklessly, but aggressively and assertively, right? Right. And um, that really resonated with people. I mean, people, people like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And people who know how to ride better than me were, you know, giving me tips. And I was <laughs> like, well, I, you know, and so I'm, I'm a believer in it, but it's, it's cool that you've heard that. Um, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about what you do in digital marketing is hearing those call rail calls or whatever the software is and call rail <laughs> and, and seeing how the firm is actually interacting with buyers is it's priceless. And, and, and that's a really interesting insight that you just shared that you've heard people connect on the personality issue because something was in the bio about their personal preferences in life. Yeah. Right. It is wild. And if that uh, can make a consumer go to an attorney, I'm going to tell the attorney to keep emphasizing that as much. Yeah. As long as it's real and it's authentic. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Long walks on the beach that will never be put on. Well, Paul, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. And I'm sure all the listeners got some valuable information from you and just really enjoyed hearing your entire story. Uh, me as well. Me as well. I mean, you've got some great insights and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited. You know, the next generation is in good hands with folks like you and uh, uh, more than happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much, Paul. Have a great one. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today for Legal Marketing Station with Jason. We hope you received a valuable legal marketing tip from today's episode. Be sure to leave any comments or questions you have. And stay tuned for future episodes with your host, Jason Craver.